welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Krish. On the Weather of the Mind podcast, we're trying to work on practical approaches to emotional health. Another way of thinking of it is we're trying to figure out this lifelong class, this lifelong field of study, this practical philosophy, answer the questions like the old practical philosophers of Roman and Greek times were thinking about in ancient China and India, what makes a good life? If our life is our ultimate gift, this ultimate opportunity, this, you know, the ultimate currency we have, the days and weeks we have to spend, what makes a good life? How much time should I focus on taking care of myself? How much time should I focus on thinking about others? How much should I spend time just relaxing and exercising or just reading? And how much time should I be working? You know, these type of things. If we all take the time to reflect on these, we're going to have a clear vision of what, of what makes a good life and gives us the best chance of, I think, feeling satisfied with our days and weeks and sleeping well at night. Sleeping well at night. I, I could go on a tangent on that, but there are just too many. I have way too many notes in front of me today. So I am really trying to stay on point. But I got too many notes, and that's a good thing because I don't know about you, but so far, I feel for me personally, this podcast has been a great a great success because it's, it's just constantly forcing me to engage and push myself and stimulate thoughts and I just I got I got plenty of thoughts and plenty of things I'm working on from week to week and it is exciting to share and to exchange with y'all living and learning giving thanks these mantras I, I say sometimes these are very these are helpful and if you feel like adopting them if they work for you I mean these are universals give thanks I mean that's that's one of the most universal two prayers you can think of the living and learning, for me, it sort of means doing my best. I'm living, putting my best out there every day, and then I'm, I'm coming back, and I'm spending a few minutes or more, and I'm just trying to learn. And when the days are good, it's real easy to just give thanks for the good days. Wow. And when the days are tough, it's, it's hard to give thanks in the middle of those tough days. But if we can remember to give thanks for those tough days, because they're part of the whole, they're part of life. The good days and the bad days, we all got them. But how can we not not succumb, not collapse, not fall into bad habits during the tough days? How can we buckle down and uh, use our refuges, go to our retreats, recharge, and come back with some lessons learned stronger than ever? One more thing, one more point I want to mention before we talk about the the documentary that I, I'm, we're going to review today, the 7 Plus 7, the 1971 documentary by Granada Films, that is the second in the Up series. So as we, as we look towards the documentary today, in relation to the theme of the second uh, season, what, you know, can biography be a subject? You know, how does biography relate you know these stories our own stories and the stories of others how can that function as a as part of this emotional health curriculum wisdom education uh practical philosophy you know and we're thinking about high school age kids i think we could thinking about 
we should, when we see these seven-year-olds in this documentary, they have seven-year-olds have the ability and the intelligence to engage, and um, and obviously a lot of these lessons. If we're if you're a parent, these lessons and or as a teacher, we're instilling in our youngsters from. They're learning. I believe they're learning lessons how about how the world works, even when they're still in the womb, from what they hear and what they feel, and they're relating a lot to the emotional experience of the mother. So we're always growing and relating emotionally and intellectually. But there are certain points when we're going to be able to take lessons and learn them a certain way. So that's what we're trying to figure out as part of this. So thinking about biography, you know, if we were to give biography, if we were to teach biography to kindergarten students, what would that look like? If we were to teach biography to fifth graders or junior high students or juniors in high school, seven-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 18-year-olds, or 35-year-olds or 45-year-olds, how would we approach this topic of biography? Because I feel like when we were in school, we read biographies, but it wasn't, they weren't pushing us to think of our biography. They weren't saying, hey, we're reading about a great person, but I want you to think about your life. And not just say, oh, this person was an astronaut and they tried really hard and that's why I want to be like them. Go deeper. We have to explore these biographies, at least the ones that they write for adult readers, the biographies I've been reading over the last two decades have so much triumph and so much tragedy. It's almost as if many of the people who accomplished great things were pushed by great challenges. All right, so let's get into the the main event today, talking about the 7 plus 7, 1971 documentary. First of all, I have a few notes in front of me. First of all, <laughs> what is up with the music? Dun, 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 at the end of the film. Oh, man, I, I think that might, maybe that's British dark humor. Um... For those who haven't seen the documentary, they say, you know, give us a give us a child. Their main premise of the main premise is give us a child at seven and I'll give you the man. Okay, so that was the premise of the show, of the documentary, that they hypothesizing that who you are at age seven is pretty much gonna be very strongly correlated with who you are at thirty and forty and fifty, or in this case 28, 35, 42, because the documentaries go every seven years. I think the seven-year slice was a good good length. I happen to, I'm not exactly sure what it's based upon, and I want to do some research on that. But one thing is, they entitled this 14-year-old episode, the 7 plus 7, they said this is the interim report. The interim report between... Seven Up, the first document, when they were seven years old, when they were children. This is the 14-year-old, the interim report, and 21, when they will have reached adulthood. So I'm not sure if in the beginning they were thinking we'll do three and show the development from seven to 21. But thankfully, this May, they're coming out with 63 Up. So we have a a lot of good documentary in front of us. One of my most, um, one of my biggest reflections this week on the documentary 
is really what the value is. And the value to me is kind of like reading a great novel where you get to relate to the stories of a bunch of characters and you see what luck and unlock or supposed luck, you just see, maybe I shouldn't phrase that way, you just see the hand they are dealt, for better or worse. They are raised in a very rich family and they're at a very prestigious academy as seven-year-olds. They are um, in a, a boy's home for, you know, an orphanage. They are middle class uh, on the side of London. So you have these different samples and you relate to them and then you hear the the children talk as seven-year-olds and you hear them talk as 14-year-olds and you see what what they are might be struggling with. And it is only uh, the briefest of slices. I mean, we're taking seven years of someone's life and then giving them maybe five minutes of airtime. So it is it is very much, it's almost a, a poem. It only gives us an inference and we have to fill in a lot of the gaps. But the storylines, the winding storylines, these 14 seven-year-olds is quite fascinating. This is a novel I want to read and this is a documentary I, I really enjoy observing. Now, I feel like when we go through these, we'll look back at 7 plus 7 and think that it might be one of the weaker episodes. And here is why. Of the 14 characters, it seemed like we lost about 4 or 5 to an kind of an awkward teenage shyness. Some of the, all the characters were quite engaged as 7-year-olds. They they actually all spoke with them great confidence uh, and honesty but there is uh and we all can remember the and we've observed and felt ourselves the transition of this this puberty age can just be awkward your body's changing your mind is changing everything's changing and so i mean tony was a real star of episode one and I mean, he looked like uh, little Brad Pitt in this uh, episode. Yeah, and him on a horse and at the, as a jockey, that was really a, a, a nice image. But he he seemed very um, distant, and he didn't really want to share that much with the camera and was kind of closed off, I thought. And you had Susie, who is the rich girl who moved to Scotland, and um, she's the one whose dog attacked a rabbit in the background of one of the shots in this film, which is... Another, I think, interesting um, documentary mm, brushstroke <laughs> that was quite memorable, actually. Um, but she's totally shy in this one. Paul is rather shy. Um, Paul is the is one of the boys from the boys' home, and they just said, "Oh, Paul, Paul moved to Australia to start a new life." But they don't explain how that worked or anything because he's only fourteen years old. I guess you just. I don't know. Maybe I don't know how that works at all. But they didn't talk. He was. They didn't talk to him that much. Charles, one of the three boys, he was kind of quiet. Half the characters almost were not well developed in this one. However, I think they're going to come back to us as they become comf more comfortable as twenty-one-year-olds. So please bear with these characters. But a few characters I thought really were fully engaged and had a. Just, I'm just impressed by the intelligence and 
I want to interview seven-year-olds and 14-year-olds in, in America and, and just kind of see what our kids would respond to some of these questions. I mean, that's one of the reasons I try to put this out here is just to engage and stimulate. And maybe, uh, maybe this is something we can recreate on some level at a local level. I think there's something to that. So a few of the characters that really left an impression on me this week. So you have the three boys, right? The three boys in the uh, kind of like upper class Kensington Middle School as youngsters. In this episode... Charles on the right is very quiet. Andrew, he's he's pretty engaged and he seems to have a very intelligent and very balanced point of view. He seems to be a natural compromiser when they ask him questions. And then there's John to the left. John seems extremely ambitious, also sort of aware of his own... Hmm, he has some rather devilish smirks in this episode I, I think he's aware of people how they view his conservative ambitions because they're quite well developed and intelligent he's really well spoken and really confident and and very conservative in his political beliefs and really speaks openly about wanting power and political power and um, so let's it'll be interesting to see and follow his progress as a person. The three working class girls, Jackie, Lindsay, and Susan, they're they were featured, but I feel like they they may they kept them all together as three and did not interview them on their own very much. And the big debate with them was should they go to a comprehensive school? or a more focused school. And they show Lindsay at a cooking school, and that's more focused. And the other two girls say, well, we want to go to a more comprehensive school where there's guys and girls, and the guys and the girls both do cooking and both do woodworking. So there was a little bit of that debate over education, which for me makes me think, wow, do we have a lot more choices for high school age students in the 50s and 60s? I mean, you hear about shop class, and I mean, I remember taking technology and home ec, and these have really been diminished very much so. So I think we should spend some time in the future reflecting on what was curriculum like in the 50s? What was curriculum like in the 20s and the 1880s? And how is it different in Germany, in, in Japan, in China, in India, in Africa? You know, look at these cross-culturally because I feel like we kind of are just accepting this educational model top to bottom, talking about raising healthy humans and a holistic education. I mean, we don't, we're, we're, we're getting, we're realizing we need to talk about this more and we're figuring it out in different ways. But also we're spending a lot of our tax money and a lot of our kids' lives in educational institutions that aren't serving a lot of them. So I really think we must think about how do we diversify the options for children? Even if there were three high school options, the real heady studying you know, um, type of school, more hands-on, and then something in between. Even even that would be helpful. Because I think we've really, this whole college notion and certainly the whole going to debt for college notion for everybody is, I don't think that's the, it doesn't seem like the answer based on my observation as a teacher. I digress. Okay, I thought Nicholas... Oh, Nicholas was one of the very shy ones, the rural guy. Like, 
he's a really interesting character, but we didn't get a lot from him this episode. But you know who I thought was really engaged and just, whew, what an old soul is Bruce. Bruce was the little guy who wanted to be a missionary, who talked about him missing his father who was across the world. And Bruce was in a military school and he was a little guy with blonde hair and big ears. Well, in this one, as his 14-year-old, he is like, he has the calmness and presence of of extremely calm adult. I mean, wow, he just is so engaged, a true thinker and feeler. And he, and I think this is interesting too, because I know he said, um, they asked him about the discipline in the military school and and he got he said he got used to it and it didn't really bother him. So that's an interesting thing to reflect upon. Um, you know, how how does discipline work with the and then how do you develop self-discipline? Because that's such a huge part of our our health as adults. How how adept are we are at self-discipline, push you know, pushing ourselves. So I'm really interested to follow Bruce at this point in the story. I mean, wow, just really thoughtful. And they asked him about television and he said I used to watch it a lot, but I'm not watching it so much. And I think it's good because a lot of it is corrupting me a bit. For one thing, the advertisements, you know, I've, I, I can recite about six tunes off and it just doesn't, it just seems a worthless thing to know. Uh, just, just very impressive. And I think, I think Neil, Neil strikes me as a very intelligent, uh, intelligent person. Neil, um... He's the one sitting with the two the two boys from Liverpool. He's got that British Liverpool accent. Here is Neil responding to two questions, one in which they ask him his thoughts on race and one where they ask him his thoughts on do you want to be rich? Well, personally, I've got nothing against colored people. I think they're the same as anybody else. But it seems that they'll take, there's lots of arguments about them because well, as any foreigners, really, that are taking up people's jobs in England. I think if you're healthy and have good friends, you can get on perfectly well. He just is a very, he's a real free thinker. He's the one who wanted to be an astronaut. If he didn't want to be an astronaut, he wanted to be a coach driver. And he still was um, talking about being a coach driver. I just feel like there's some, some interesting things going on in his character. He seems to have just a free thinker and an ambitious person. So I'm just intrigued to see what goes on there. And finally, maybe the champion of, and it's not a competition, but maybe a, a beautiful voice and presence from episode two, seven plus seven was Simon. Simon is our, um, our only black person in this documentary. And before I get to that, I, I looked up the numbers. So there's 14 characters in this documentary. And there's a few imbalances. Having only one, they had one black kid, and Paul um, was an immigrant child. So you have a black child, immigrant child out of 14. And that might be fairly representative for Britain in 1962, because they were just debating immigration reform and opening up the country to more immigration. Because I looked at numbers in 1950, the UK had only uh, 20,000 non whites. So you have to remember that. Some of these European countries were still pretty, pretty closed, not closed, but um, very ethnically insular countries. 
uh, up until very recently. So it's not surprising that there's only one black and one immigrant on this documentary. But what is surprising is having 10 boys featured and only four girls. And that was a mistake, and the director has since acknowledged that as a mistake. So that is one weakness of the documentary. But, like I said, this, this documentary is an amazing, ambitious art, anthropology, psycho- psychological project. It is worth, it's worth your time. It's worth your six or seven or eight hours to watch these documentaries because I think it's really fascinating and it's going to lead us to some good insights. Okay, back to Simon. So Simon, Simon, at this point, he had left the orphanage at age 13 and now was living back with his mother at age 14. I don't know much, any, any backstory beyond that. But what was fascinating with Simon was he, he had, I mean, he definitely had a kind of a pensive, thoughtful presence as a seven-year-old, but that, that really maintained... And he is is almost he's dropping some wisdom in very just casual phrasing when they ask him about rich and poor and black and white and God. I'm gonna play a few of his excerpts because I think they're just really really beautiful. Get used to knowing colored people and colored people in turn got to get used to being with white people. Because if the side doesn't work properly, then no side will work properly. People just got to mix in with everybody else. If everybody had the same as everybody else, nobody would be missing anything. Uh, people, rich people, they have all different things. They have everything they want. Whereas poor people, they don't have nothing and they know they, and they, know they haven't got nothing. And so they know they're missing something. What are you missing? Well, I'm missing a a bike and a fishing rod. So, there you have it. Getting wisdom from a 14-year-old, 1971. Pretty cool we can do with these uh, interviews and documentaries. Someone's been listening to Scranton Bob in 50 years. (laughs) I hope. All right, guys. Much love. I hope you're doing well and keeping positive. And just keep a notebook and don't don't make it a stress. Make it fun. Give yourself five, ten minutes a night to reflect and digest and uh, keep living and learning. Keep growing. We're all uh, little plants. Let's try to make the soil as healthy as possible. All right, guys. Peace.